Well, we've been in a series for some weeks on the subject of coming home for Christmas, and we're going to kind of conclude that series tonight. Uh, there is something very powerful about the draw and the desire that people have to be home for Christmas. We just want to be with the people we love. We just want to be in surroundings that are familiar to us, that mean something to us. And it's curious when you think about it, because most people plan to be any place but home on other major holidays. I mean, think about it. People for Easter will oftentimes go south somewhere warm or uh, to the mountains for the 4th of July or Labor Day, that kind of thing. But Christmas, Christmas is different. People fly across country in both services. Before now, I've had people share with me where they have flown in from just to be with family. Or they'll drive all night through a snowstorm in order to be home. Now, we're not experiencing that this weekend, thank God. Uh, I remember once when I was in college, and I was working at the college, uh, actually. I wasn't a student. And I had to stay there through part of the Christmas break. And man, I wanted to be home for Christmas. But it was blizzarding. Home was about 12 hours away in a normal, you know, drive. And I was bound and determined I wasn't going to be stuck on the highway or at this empty college, you know, for Christmas. I got in my little car. It was a, it was a Chevy Vega GT. <laughs> It's a snow machine, let me tell you. And uh, I made it. I made it. I think it was an 18-hour drive, perhaps, something like that. But I was going to be home for Christmas. Wasn't going to miss it. And it's all rather ironic when you uh, read the account of the very first Christmas story. Because what you find when you read that story carefully is that nobody in it was home. Kind of interesting. Mary and Joseph were in Bethlehem. Their home was in Nazareth. The shepherds were out in a field, no home there. The wise men were traveling from the east. Uh, this is probably some time later than the very day or night upon which Jesus was born. Uh, and they were looking for a king born of the Jews. So they too were traveling, not home. And in a very real sense, Jesus, the Christmas child, was far, far, far away from his normal home. The Bible tells us that Jesus actually left the comfort and the security and the splendor, frankly, of his home in heaven in order to carry out a mission, a mission that had you in mind and me in mind here on earth. And if that's true, it was a long way from home for Jesus that first Christmas. And yet somehow when we see a scene like a nativity scene, when we see a, that temporary shelter in a manger with a baby lying in it and parents huddled around kind of loving or doting on the baby, most of us never give one passing thought to the fact that no one in that scene was home. We just want to make sure we're going to be home for Christmas. The concept of that word, home, it's an interesting one to define. I don't know if you've ever tried to define it, uh, or have thought about what home really means. I mean, think back to the Christmases of your youth, if you can do that. Some of you are youthful. Others of us have to work at that. What memories or feelings can you resurrect that created the sense of home for you then? Uh, I'll bet one thing that was there for most of us was this idea, this sense of belonging. Uh, maybe you didn't think about that when you were little. Probably not. But can't most of us remember feeling that we just sort of fit in there in our home? We had a place there. We had parents that loved us. Uh, we had brothers and sisters who said they loved us but didn't act like it. Um, there was relational warmth with grandparents and aunts and uncles and cousins and all of that mixed together. 
Help us feel like we belong. Most of us think back to childhood Christmases and we remember not being worried about whether our loved ones would be there for us. We just knew they would. They'd be there. And I think it's safe to say that for many of us, home is at least in part about belonging, belonging to the people who love us. Something else I'd probably throw into the mix on this definition is this idea of a a sense of security, if you will. A good home is a safe place. A good home is a place of comfort. It is a place of protection from outside forces that sometimes feel kind of scary, especially to someone who's young. A good home is a familiar place. It's a predictable environment where certain family traditions and expectations provide a sense of continuity and a sense of stability. And that's especially true around Christmas. That's where families break out the traditions and create the rituals that help to make this thing that we call home, this place where we are secure. Uh, Do you remember some of the Christmas rituals for you? Were were you, I'm curious, how many people here are real tree traditionalists? Real tree traditionalists, how many? Okay, how many are fake tree traditional? You know, that's your tree. Okay, yeah, yeah, sure. You know, real tree, wow. Go out into the woods somewhere cold, wet, dark, awful. Take a saw, cut down a tree, drag it to your car, usually up a hill. You know, put it on top of the car, tie it on, stop several times on the way home to retie it, get it to the house, drag it in the house, drop needles everywhere. Then you got to put water in the thing, you know, and get it up there. You got to keep watering it all season long. Got to put lights on it and everything. Then when it's all done, you got to reverse the process. Which one do you think we are? (laughs) We're real tree people. I'm sad to report, but we are. What were some of the other things you guys did? Did you... uh, uh, maybe you set up your tree on the weekend of Thanksgiving. Some families, that's a big tradition. We celebrate Thanksgiving, then we get that tree and we set it up and it's up for a month, you know, and, and you start the whole process of the Christmas ritual. Uh, maybe you open your presents on Christmas Eve. Some of you are going home tonight to do something that you just traditionally do. You're going to open one present. Any one present opening families here tonight? Oh, there's a number. Okay. Anybody here open all your presents tonight? A few, okay, a few. Most of us, you know, do what Jesus did, and we open our presents on Christmas morning. (laughs) Just saying, just saying. (laughs) Uh, Maybe your big Christmas dinner is tonight. Maybe your big Christmas dinner is tomorrow. Different families do it different ways. But those and a host of other family rituals were a whole lot more than you realized, more important than you realized when you were a child because they gave you a sense of security, a sense of belonging, a place to be in your home. And that's an essential ingredient in what a home is all about, belonging and this sense of security. And I would add one more thing to it just for our discussion. Take, is that, is that a child? Oh, there we go. Oh, Oh, it's like being home. uh, It is, yeah. Uh, I would add one more thing to this kind of mixture of a definition that we're giving to this thing of home, and that would be a sense of hope and optimism. Uh, Psychologists actually tell us that young children growing up in loving homes where they feel a sense of security and they have that sense of belonging, they usually also feel very hopeful about the future. 
Uh, they have this sense that life is just going to, you know, it's just going to keep getting better. Uh, there'll be more uh, freedom ahead, more opportunity ahead, more fun ahead. A child will, in a home like that, often think, hey, you know what I don't get for, uh, get this Christmas, I'll get next Christmas. They don't realize that well, they're, they're, they're getting list changes from year to year. And what they think they want this Christmas, they're not going to want, you know, a, a year later. But they, they just think optimistically. There's always another Christmas around the corner when you're young. Optimism and hope run high in a healthy home, that's the point. So a sense of belonging, sense of security, sense of hopeful optimism, if you will, partly at least captures what home really means. But here's a question, now stay with me in this. The question is this, what does living in the real world do to our understanding of home over time? Wow, unfortunately, all too often as one matures because of the brokenness that's in us, none of us here are perfect, right? Because of the brokenness that's in our parents, because of the brokenness that's in our siblings, because of the brokenness that's out there in the world, that sense of belonging gets challenged again and again and again, and in some cases even gets destroyed. What's more, when young people grow up and leave the home sooner or later, they are forced to redefine what that sense of belonging was all about. Because as the years go by, relationships change. This is true for all of us. Even the relationships that you thought were permanent that would never ever change, sometimes even there, the unthinkable happens. Marriage is sour, parents split up. Loved ones that we really care about, they die, they pass on. And these are things that when we're little, we're not banking on that. Uh, that's not in the plans. And somewhere along life's journey, that sense of belonging begins to weaken and might even come to the place where it just crumbles. And eventually an honest person starts to wonder if any earthly relationship is gonna be capable of offering a permanent sense of belonging. Let me bring that down to even a more personal level. Some of you thought this Christmas is going to be just like the last five or 10 Christmases, but it hasn't turned out that way. Uh, for some of you, there's a husband or maybe a wife missing at Christmas. A mother, there's a mother who isn't around this year. Uh, there's a piercing pain or loss, maybe a, a recent death, a stress of a relationship that needs to be fixed before it dies. And that person with whom that relationship where that relationship is so stressed that person's not going to be at the table with you you see this christmas many of us can't help but be reminded just how tenuous relationships really are how thin a thread that sense of belonging hangs on and we find also that the real world does a number on our sense of security the sense that uh, the, that a good home affords us when we're little and when we're growing up Unless you've lived in a life with your head kind of stuck in the sand, you've probably come to understand that the future holds no guarantees. Will next year be a financial boon or will it be a financial bust? Nobody knows. What will the repercussions of the election be? Nobody knows. Will there be more economic opportunity in the upcoming year or less? Nobody knows. Will you have good health in the upcoming year or will you get bad news? Nobody knows. So much for security. You see, the real world, if you live in it long enough, rips the word security right out of your vocabulary. And the homes of our youth may have given us a sense of security 
but it's a short-lived sense of security that just has the heck beat out of it in this real world that we live in. This sense of security also hangs by a very thin thread. And then what about hope and optimism? Anyone here think that by this time next year, all the hostilities in the Middle East will be over? Probably not. Anybody think Iran will start behaving like a true friend? Probably not. Anybody think Russia will be a close ally? Probably not. That we'll have fewer homeless people on the streets? Probably not going to happen. Fewer dropouts in schools. Fewer divorces, fewer teen pregnancies, fewer abortions, fewer power-seeking politicians, fewer problems between the races, fewer terrorist attacks? Probably not. Does anyone here really believe that by this time next year, we're going to see more love and understanding and peace pervading the world that we live in? Probably not. In fact, we're so cynical. We tend to think that only ignorant people think like that. We tend to think that smart people know that the future is uncertain and that smart people therefore are by definition cynics. Friends, the real world has a way of shattering our concept of home. It destroys thread by thread the the threads of belonging and the thread of security and the thread of optimism. And I have a sneaking suspicion that part of the pull that we feel towards this idea of home that many of us feel at Christmas time is really a deep, deep yearning for that sense of belonging, that sense of security, that sense of optimism that we once enjoyed in the homes of our youth. And Christmas just seems to trigger those kinds of memories that come back to us from our childhood. Some of us at Christmas time stand in front of a nativity scene and we see loving people huddled around a baby there in a manger and, and we wonder, what does God's son, what does Jesus have to do with the idea of home? What does this Christmas child, can this Christmas child somehow make a difference? Can this Christmas child make some of these things right? What does his coming have to do with our belonging and our security and our sense of optimism for the future? What does his coming have to do with home? If you're on that wavelength at all with me thus far, if you're not, just enjoy your sleep. But if you're, if you're with me thus far, then listen carefully to the next few minutes as I try to bring these threads together. I want to share something with you that has changed my life completely. And I mean that. It's actually something that Jesus teaches us. You know, Jesus teaches us that God knows us. I mean, really knows us, knows you and me. He knows your name. You've been on his mind forever, literally, before you even existed. You're on his mind right now, whether he's on yours or not. Jesus, in fact, tells us that God, this God, this heavenly father made you every fiber, every piece, made you to be unique. And he knows all of your needs, every single one of them, even needs you don't know about. And your deep desire to belong and to be secure and to have hope for the future, he knows all about that too. And he knows that this side of heaven, all of our homes, all of our relationships, even as good as they can be sometimes, 
All of them are flawed because of this brokenness, this thing the Bible calls sin that is in us and in the world out there. And so our needs and our desires for security and belonging aren't met, not fully. In fact, they can't be as long as we are looking to people to meet those needs. And so Jesus says to each of us, I really believe if he were standing here, what he would say is this Christmas, remember, I know you and I love you. That is why I came that first Christmas, so that I could make a way for you to belong to my family permanently. That's why Jesus came. And through Jesus' work on the cross, God makes a way for broken people, people who are not perfect, people who struggle, people who battle addictions, people who aren't religious, people who want answers, people who have difficulty making relationships work. God says, Jesus will make a way by faith for you to become members of my permanent family, my eternal family. And friends, once we are members of God's family, here's the thing. Jesus taught that once we are members, once we've been adopted into God's family, we are members forever. In fact, the apostle Paul, who happens to be a guy who at one point in time opposed Jesus and sought to collect Jesus' followers and do harm to them, the apostle Paul eventually himself became a follower of Jesus, and he was so sure of the love of God that he discovered in Jesus. These are the words he wrote. He said, for I am convinced that neither death nor life, neither angels nor demons, neither the present nor the future, nor any powers, Neither height or depth nor any, uh, anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus, our Lord. That's amazing confidence. It's an amazing statement. And many of us here tonight know what it means to belong to God in this permanent kind of way, and we know it personally. And it's not only a powerful feeling, it's a life-changing truth. Many of us know what it's like to be adopted into God's family and relate to God kind of in a father-son or father-daughter kind of way. And believe me, to be able to do that, to know God and yourself that way, it feels like, just like coming home. You know you belong permanently to a good and loving heavenly father. Someone who loves you so much, he wants to do something about the brokenness in us and did so by sending his son. Now, you know, God also knows our deep longing for security. And that's why he says things. He would often say things through prophets and, and through teachers. God was speaking one time through a prophet named Isaiah. And this is what he said. He said, don't be afraid for I am with you. Do not be dismayed, for I am your God. I will strengthen you. I will help you. I will uphold you with my victorious right hand. You know that more than 360 times in the Bible, God tells us, fear not. Fear not. I, I, it's, it's as if he, he knows the longing that we have for security, and he knows the problem that we have with finding it. 
He also knows that there is very little security in this broken world. But understand, God knows the future. In fact, he holds the future in his hand. He knows your future and mine, every jot and tittle, every turn along the way. And he promises to go through all of it right beside his children. Jesus promised his disciples one time. He said, I will never leave you or forsake you. That's a promise. Another time he said, I will not leave you as orphans. I will come to you. So he actually talked about coming back someday to his followers. And to assure us of this, he gave us, well, he gave us the Holy Spirit, which I know sounds mystical. It is, it is. But many here tonight know what I'm talking about. Uh, Many here could attest to the fact that in their deepest difficulties of life, in times of personal challenge, personal tragedy, personal heartache, personal difficulty, we have felt the sustaining presence of God in such a powerful way that somehow while our worlds are falling apart, because here's the interesting thing, Jesus doesn't come into your life to make all your troubles go away. He comes into our lives to walk through those troubles with us and actually make some good come of those troubles. And so while our worlds were falling apart, we felt this this strange sense of security. And it is strange. It's something given to a, a family member by the Holy Spirit, a sense of security. It's a peace that passes understanding. Some of us have stood at hospital beds or we've stood at gravesides. Some of us have received devastating medical news or pink slips at the worst imaginable time. And while our worlds felt to us like they were crumbling around us, we also felt a curious awareness that God was not going to let us sink into the abyss of despair. He was going to be with us. He was going to provide. That rather somehow, someway, God would work things out. And what I need to do is to continue to trust and to hold on and to believe and to enjoy the security that he can give me. Here's the deal. The more a person grows in their personal relationship with God, the more secure they become in him, the more hope they have, and the more it feels like like coming home. That other thing concerning the future, you know, optimism and hope, let me just say a quick word about that. Man, that takes a beating in this world too. So much so that the question becomes, are we doomed to walk around as pessimists and cynics? Some would say we are. Is that the best we can hope for? You know, I've always been intrigued as somebody trying to walk with, trying to follow Jesus. I've been intrigued by the fact that when Jesus matured into a man and became a rabbi and was an itinerant teacher, and when he began his public ministry, Optimism and hope for the future were two things that he most often uh, talked about. They were favorite themes of his. One time Jesus was talking to a group of people, uh, some of whom were very poor, some of whom were being treated very uh, unjustly, some of whom were so poor they were hungry, 
Uh, all of these people felt like there was no possible for, way for them to know the one true living God because they weren't pure enough. They weren't clean enough. They weren't good enough. They didn't know the Bible well enough. They weren't schooled the way they needed to be, the way the religious leaders were. And Jesus looked out upon that crowd and he said some remarkable revolutionary words to them. He said, God blesses those who are poor and realize their need for him for the kingdom of heaven is theirs. He said, God blesses those who mourn for they will be comforted. He said, God blesses those who are humble for they will inherit the earth. God blesses those who hunger and thirst for justice for they will be satisfied. God blesses those who are merciful for they will be shown mercy. God blesses those whose hearts are pure for they will see God. God blesses those who work for peace, for they will be called children of God. And God blesses those who are persecuted for doing right, for the kingdom of heaven is theirs. <laughs> Jesus was telling his followers that they can always hope. Whatever your circumstances, you can always hope. There's always a reason for optimism because number one, the kingdom of God is coming. It's here now, but not in its fullness. We only see glimpses of it now, but the day is coming when it will come in its fullness and that day will be when Jesus comes back. And when Jesus comes home and Jesus comes back, all evil will be punished, all injustice will end, all wrongs will be over, they will be righted, all brokenness will be mended, even the brokenness in here, and sin and death, our two greatest enemies, will be overcome, Jesus said. That's what the future holds. That's pretty optimistic. But even now, here and now, there is reason to hope for somebody following Jesus. Sometimes Jesus would sense that there were almost dark clouds of despair hovering over some of his followers' heads. And, and he would gather them around. He would say things to them like this. He would say, with my father, all things are possible. He'd remind his followers that God is bigger than any problem that they face. He is stronger than any force that they would come across. He is standing by and willing and able to work his will in your life. All you need to do is trust, believe. Now, the followers of Jesus know this to be true. In fact, sometimes one follower of Jesus expressed it this way. He said, we say with confidence, the Lord is my helper. I will not be afraid. What can man do to me? Wow, that's confidence. I'm gonna tell you, friends, that should be enough to make us all optimistic as we gaze into the future. Historically, Jesus followers have always lived with a spirit of divinely inspired optimism. Even in the midst of uncertain and difficult times, the apostle Paul, that guy I mentioned earlier, he said one time crazy words. He said, for me to live as Christ, to die as gain. Well, that sounds nutty. What's he talking about? Well, he was saying, I'm confident that Jesus will supply me with whatever I need to face any problem that comes my way. And when this life ends, and God knows exactly when that will be for each and every one of us, Paul is saying, I'll spend eternity with the heavenly father and with Jesus and with the spirit in heaven. So it's a win-win. What can man do to me? And Jesus' followers through the centuries I'll tell you, they cling 
tightly to that reality. The promise of help in this life and the promise of heaven in the next. It's a certainty that we embrace by faith. And that sense of optimism makes them feel that, frankly, they're home. And admittedly, there is so much irony in this if you think about it. The son of God leaves his home in heaven. He's born a homeless person in a temporary shelter. He identifies with homeless people throughout his ministry here on earth. He never had a place to rest his head or call his home. He was murdered and buried and placed in a borrowed grave. And yet through his death and his resurrection, he enables people everywhere to recapture the sense of coming home, really home. Coming home to God, finding that place of belonging and that place of security and that place of optimism that nothing, not anyone or anything can take away from you. And I'd like to close by asking you kind of a personal question. The question is this, have you come home for Christmas? Home in the sense that we're talking about tonight. Are you living in the truth that you belong to God? Do you know the unshakable security of his care, the the blessing of his fatherly care? Do you have the unstoppable optimism that comes from knowing that Jesus is with you, that your eternity will be spent with a good and loving and caring heavenly father? Now, I know that uh, many of us uh, are already home in Jesus in the sense that I just described. These are things we have embraced. We have put our faith in him. And, and while our faith ebbs and flows sometimes, it's stronger and sometimes it's weaker, but these are things we, we wrestle to hold onto, truths that we know and things that we wrap our lives around. And if that's you, don't let this Christmas pass without worshiping God for the gift of his son to you who makes home possible. No matter where you are, no matter what you are going through, make sure you thank him for all the gifts to you in Jesus. You've been adopted. You're a member of the permanent family. Be sure and worship him and thank him for that. And then for those here tonight who might feel far from God or, you know, the words that I'm speaking to you seem strange. Uh, um, there may be a few of you who's hearing what we're talking about tonight and thinking, yeah, I'd like to come home the way you're talking about. And I would just say, why don't you come home for Christmas? Why don't you make tonight the night that you come home to Jesus? I mean, admit the distance between you. Admit, I don't know, stubborn pride, if that's an issue. Admit admit confusion about him. Admit a wandering and and sin. Admit that you're broken. Admit that you need help. Admit that you need him. I remember when I came to that recognition that I badly needed Jesus. I had messed some things up in my life and uh, (laughs) enough to know that... um, my future was likely to be kind of a mess without him. And um, I came to that place where the confusion about Jesus was kind of cleared up and 
I wanted to put my faith in him. I wanted to follow him. And I prayed a, a prayer that was very uh, uneloquent, ineloquent. I'm not sure what the word is. It was something like this, even though it was years and years ago. I just said, Heavenly Father, forgive me. And Jesus, I need you. I need your forgiveness. I need you in my life. I need you to be my friend. I need you to lead me. I need guidance. I need you. And I want to come home to you. And it wasn't very eloquent, but it worked. (laughs) And I would just suggest uh, if you hear God calling you home, pray some kind of prayer like that and then share it with somebody. That's not something you keep secret. Share it with somebody. Let them celebrate with you that this Christmas, this Christmas Eve, was a homecoming for you. Now, what we're going to do with our service tonight, I'm going to invite the team back up here. And uh, I've been working on this for months. It's a song I want to sing for you. Um, Well, maybe not. Maybe we'll let Sarah sing a song for us uh, and and the, the team up here lead us. But we're going to do something that Christians have done, actually, for many many centuries in many different lands. Uh, It's the lighting of a candle at this time of year. Jesus coming to earth was light coming into a dark place. And so Christians have symbolized that in the context of worship services often by simply lighting candles. And we're going to do that together. And we'll stand and as... uh, as we sing together, we'll have a candle and you'll, your candle will be lighted or lit and then you'll pass that on to the person next to you. And really when you do that, uh, it's actually a picture of how belief in and faith in Jesus spreads because it does spread. You know, you see the truth of Jesus in someone's life and you find yourself drawn to that and you ask questions and you explore and And uh, next thing you know, you've embraced the light and you're passing it on to somebody else. And that's what we're going to symbolize tonight. It's also an act of worship, just letting the light of Jesus shine. Now, as we get near the end of the song, uh, Dustin will clue us in. You did last in the the last service. Uh, We're going to, you know, raise our candles high, you know, uh, at a certain point in the song. And the words of this song are magnificent. Oh, holy night. The words are so rich and magnificent. So let's let this be our a closing act of worship. And uh, yeah, let's do it. Mm-hmm.